for those songs and the selections this evening. First of all, I want to say I have permission from the elders uh, to strike down anyone that starts bouncing around a Whataburger beach ball um, during the assembly this evening. So uh, thank Brother Sammy for providing those gifts, and I know the kids are having a good time with them, so we'll try to keep them from bouncing around during the sermon. So, uh, But it is good to see everybody tonight, good to see all of the young people getting here into town, and uh, hope and pray that our time together will be a great blessing uh, to you all. We're going to continue this evening talking about and, and kind of pick up where we left off this, this morning, um, talking about the cross of Jesus. And I want you to understand something. Though it was the Jewish tribunal, though it was the Roman authorities, though it was that Roman soldier who actually hammered the nails through the hands and the feet of Jesus, Jesus was on that cross because of us. He was on that cross because of our sins. And tonight, we need to reflect upon what we studied this morning with the gravity and the understanding that without that sacrifice and what Jesus was willing to do, we would still be dead in our sins. But because of what Christ has done and through His resurrection from the dead, we have a wonderful promise of an eternity that God has prepared for the faithful. And this week, you young people are here, I know, for many different reasons. And as we get to spend time with you and get to know you better, I hope and pray that you are building new relationships with friends. I hope that you're strengthening relationships, maybe, that you haven't been able to strengthen uh, because of the last couple of years and some of the distance and, and what those things have created. But most importantly, I hope that by the end of this week, you will say that you have a closer relationship with Jesus. Because that's why we're doing this. This isn't just to have fun. This is actually designed to help you spiritually understand very important things relating to your relationship with Jesus Christ. And it all comes back to the cross because tonight I can tell you that we would not have the wonderful fellowship that we enjoy within the church and the body of Christ without the cross. You would not be able to sing the songs that we've sung tonight in praising our God and our Creator without the cross. You wouldn't be able to have a hope in heaven and sing about what we have to look forward to without the cross. And the cross is the central figure of history. Think about your Bible for just a second. From Genesis all the way up until the cross, when we see the gospel accounts of the crucifixion of Jesus, everything from Genesis to that point points to a Savior. And then everything afterward that we read of in the New Testament epistles of Paul and the other apostles points back to one event, and that being the cross. And tonight we're going to talk about the impact that that cross has related to our relationship with God. Because there is a very specific element that we find displayed at the cross that without our obedience to it, we have no relationship or connection to God. How sad would it be to live a life and never have a relationship with the one who made you? See, but God gave us His Word that we can open up and study and understand what it is He needs and desires for us to do so that we can enter in to that perfect relationship through the sacrifice of His Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I want you to get your Bibles out specifically in the New Testament. I want you to turn to 1 John tonight. 
Now, following our opening passage, I'll have the rest of the verses on the PowerPoint that you'll be able to follow along. But I want you to have your Bibles, and I want you to look at 1 John chapter 1. Now, later this week, we're going to study John, the apostle, the beloved one of Jesus, as John gazed up from the foot of the cross and saw his Savior and his friend Jesus die. Now, years later, John writes this letter. And I want you to listen to the words that John uses to describe his relationship and what he had understood in living and walking with Jesus. 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled, of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. John was writing about the relationship that he had been able to enjoy with Jesus. And it's very interesting the language that he uses. He says that our eyes have seen. And then he goes in and says, our hands have handled of the word of life. Could you imagine shaking Jesus' hand? Could you imagine going up to Jesus and greeting him with a warm embrace? And as their custom would have been, maybe shared a kiss with Jesus. You see, John got to experience that. You and I read about it and and we think and long, maybe what would that have been like to have walked with Jesus? What would it have been like to have seen Jesus turn water into wine? What would it have been like to have seen Jesus make a man that was lame from his mother's womb and never had walked to get up and to walk? Or to cause the man that was blind to see? Or to go to the grave of his friend Lazarus and call him forth from the dead. Wouldn't that have been amazing to see? Wouldn't that have been amazing to have witnessed? And then to share in a meal with Jesus. And to just listen to Jesus talk about his relationship with the Father. And to have a greater and a deeper understanding of who this man Jesus really was. John had that experience. And as John was reflecting back on his life, he says that light came to give you joy and to give us fellowship and a fellowship with God and a fellowship with one another. What a blessing that is. Isn't it a blessing to be able to look at one another today and say, you're my brother or you're my sister in the Lord. And all of that's possible because that light was manifest and that Jesus came in the flesh and ultimately died on that cross. Tonight, I want you to understand, if you've never been obedient to the gospel, you are missing out on joy. You are missing out on wonderful fellowship. You can be in the same room, but you're missing out if you've never been baptized into Jesus Christ. And the saddest part is some people are missing out and they don't even realize it. But I think we as the church ought to live in such a way that people long to be a part of what it is that we're doing and the people that we are. In John chapter 19, we see the conclusion of Jesus hanging there on the cross. 
And starting there in verse 38, it says, After this, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus, and Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with spices as custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in that place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. You see, someone had to actually get the body of Jesus off of that cross. You ever thought about that? Now, I just shared with you what an amazing opportunity would have been to have shared an embrace with Jesus, but could you imagine being Joseph of Arimathea? Begging Pilate to let you have his mangled body that was lifeless. And to take that body down from that cross and then to get with Nicodemus and him bringing the spices and the ointments and all those things and and taking time to prepare a body to be buried. You see, somebody had to do that. And one of the things that I wanted to mention this morning that I failed to is oftentimes we sanitize the cross and and we wear it as a, a charm around our neck and you know, and, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I think that might be a good reminder of Jesus. But understand what that cross represents. It represents death. It wasn't pretty. And that mangled body is brought down from the cross and great t- care was taken to prepare that body for a respectable burial. And they take him to a, a tomb where no one had ever been laid and they put him in that tomb and, and ultimately what did they do? They rolled a great stone in front of that door. Matthew gives us the account in Matthew 27, beginning in verse 59. It says, When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. You know, there were other tombs. You know, there were other bodies that had been taken down from crosses, and family members would take those bodies and prepare them and put them in those tombs. And you know what people would do? People would come a few days later and they would give respects at that tomb. And maybe months or years after that, they would come back to the tomb of their loved ones and they may share a memory of that person who's no longer living. You ever do that when you visit a cemetery? There's a cemetery outside of Maud, Oklahoma, that anytime I'm in that area, I don't make a big deal about it. But you know, if I'm ever close and in that area, you know what I do? I drive there to that cemetery and, and I find a certain grave and I go and I have a moment of reflection thinking about my mom. And I share her with my children and stories and, and remember who she was and that monument's there today. You know, people were going to do that with Jesus. In fact, on that third day, the women went back to the tomb expecting what? Expecting his body to be there. But something greater was revealed to them. And what was that? That he was no longer there. 
that he had been raised from the dead and that he was alive again. You see, you think about the cross and you think about the death of that man, Jesus, and you say, what was the point? This was the point. A price had to be paid. You know, our God is a just God. And every wrong will be righted. Do you ever think about evil in the world and say, oh, I wish we could just take vengeance? And you know what the New Testament teaches us? We don't take vengeance. We leave that to God. But you know what God promises to do? He will take vengeance on evil. And every wrong will be righted. Every sin, every transgression, every flaw, every choice that rebels against the will of God has to be accounted for. Have you ever rebelled against God? You ever lied? You ever said a word that you really knew you shouldn't say? You ever made fun of someone and were unkind? You ever thought you were better than someone else? You ever let your pride and your ego take control of you? You ever ever have hate in your heart? You ever take something that wasn't yours? You ever borrow something and not give it back? You know, all of those things are in opposition to the will of God. And that sin has to be accounted for. That sin has to have something that pays for it. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. The payment that sin requires is death. That's a hefty price, isn't it? And when Adam and Eve partook of the fruit in the garden, guess what? They paid a great price. Because death came into the world. And no, they didn't die that day, but they were separated from a holy God. And you know what happens today when people sin? That sin separates them from a holy, righteous, and just God. I want to tell you, that's why the cross matters. (laughs) Because the cross, in spite of our sin... In spite of our lies, in spite of the things we've said that we shouldn't have said, the times we've hated someone or we've said something or done anything contrary to God's will, the price that was sufficient to cover and pay for that was the blood of Jesus. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So when I ask you this evening, have you sinned? I don't even have to ask the question. Because I know the answer. Because God's word is true. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know who that includes? That includes me and you. All of us have sinned. All of us fall short. Now look at verse 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. So when you think about your sin, there has to be something that's a payment. God's Word says that payment is death, which should be your death and mine. But He says, I'm accepting a substitute. That's what that word propitiation, that's a big old King James word. 
That simply means a substitute. He was willing to allow someone else to pay the debt that you have accumulated. Isn't that gracious? Did God have to do that? He did if he wanted to reconcile mankind back to him. There was no other way. There was no sacrifice sufficient, no blood, no death of humanity could account for the sins of mankind except for the perfect blood of a perfect sacrifice, and that's what Jesus was. And that sacrifice is a substitute payment for your sins and for mine. Should we thank God for that? Should we be gracious to God that he looked down on us in our sin and said, I love you so much, I'm going to make sure you can be with me through my righteousness and my selflessness. Not only was a price paid, but provision was made. A pathway was established. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So as Jesus lived, Jesus understood his mission. You ever wonder about your purpose? And some of you guys are really young, but some of you guys are hitting that age where you know what? You've got to start making decisions of what you're going to do with your life. What's my purpose? What are my goals? What's my ambition? I want to tell you, here's your purpose. Serve God. That's why you were made. In our house, we follow um, sports quite a bit. And my oldest boys, well, all of my boys, love sports. And, and you'll hear athletes from time to say, well, I was just born to play this game. And I want to tell you, they have skills but I want to tell you, they've worked diligently to develop those skills, haven't they? You know why that famous basketball player, Luka Doncic, was created on this, and put on this planet? It wasn't to bounce a basketball and score points. It was to glorify God. That's why he was made. And those athletes that make millions of dollars and talk about all the things that they have accomplished and what they're, you know why God made them? He made them to glorify him. And the goal would be, hey, figure out some way to use your skills and your talents and your abilities and develop yourself so that you can glorify and honor your creator. And young people, I want you to get that and understand that this week. God made you for a wonderful purpose, and that's to bring glory and honor to his name. And whatever else you choose to do with your life, make sure that it allows you to fulfill that purpose and that goal of glorifying him. Because he made a pathway and a provision to have a relationship with you. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. And it's his blood that justifies. Now something interesting is that the Bible says Jesus came by both water and blood. And there's a lot of different ideas about this, but I think... The Bible is pretty plain in what this water and blood represent. Back in 1 John, now chapter 5, beginning of verse 4, John writes, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. 
And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. Now notice something about this passage in 1 John chapter 5. Verse 4 begins with the phrase, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Do you think John came up with this idea of being born again or being born of God on his own? Or do you think he had heard that previously in some teaching, perhaps from a man named Jesus? You see, John didn't just come up with that on his own. He was inspired to record that by the Holy Spirit. But I want to tell you, it reflects a teaching that Jesus gave that John records back in the Gospel of John chapter 3. And that gospel account talks about the idea of a man being born again of the water and the spirit. So what is the water and the blood? Well, the blood is the blood that he shed on the cross that we talked in detail about this morning. But what is the water? Some would say, well, it was the water that came out with the blood when he was pierced on the cross. Maybe. Some would say, well, it was the fact that he was born of a woman and there was a release of water in birth and childbirth and he came into this world by water. Okay. But I think that birth of water is actually in connection with the same birth process that Jesus taught that we have to take part in all the way back in John chapter 3. And what is that? Well, let's look and see. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 3. Now, a man named Nicodemus had come to Jesus. And Nicodemus was a very prominent Jewish leader. But he came to Jesus at night. You ever wonder why he went at night? He couldn't go during the day, could he? Because everybody would have seen him. Why are you going and conversing with Jesus? So he goes at night, and he has a conversation with Jesus. And he says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God because no man can do the things that you're doing except God be with him. He acknowledged who Jesus was. And he says, you've got to help me understand this. And I want you to look at verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot, be, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, how, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. So what is Jesus teaching here to Nicodemus? Well, he talks about the idea of being born again. And you know, Nicodemus had the natural humanistic response of saying, how can a man, hang on, how can a grown man be born again? Can he enter in the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And and Nicodemus wasn't asking that because Nicodemus thought that's what Jesus was talking about. He was just trying to make an absurdity out of the statement that Jesus just made about a man being born again. He said it's impossible for that to happen. 
Well, what was Jesus talking about? He wasn't talking about going back into a mother's womb and being born again. He was talking about a separate rebirth that maintained or contained two components. The water and the spirit. And notice what he says about that. If you're not born again of the water and the spirit, you cannot see and you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Those are Jesus' words, not mine. Do you know that the Bible teaches an exclusive gospel? Our culture is all about inclusivity, aren't we? I think that's a lot of the reason a lot of people don't like the Word of God is because it teaches a very exclusive gospel. Jesus told people a number of times, if you don't do this, you can't be my disciple. He told them very plainly. So when we're studying the Bible, I think it's important for us to have integrity and to be honest with ourselves and say, Jesus said this. And if Jesus says, I have to be born again to enter into the kingdom of God or to see the kingdom of God, whatever that being born again is, I better do it. Because if I don't, Jesus is the one telling me I can't see or enter into the kingdom of God. Now, is Jesus about keeping people out of heaven? He wants everyone there. In fact, the New Testament teaches us that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And through that repentance and obedience to the gospel, God has created a provision through the cross of Christ for us to be reconciled to our Father because of His love. You know what John 3 is about? Now, in John 3, verse 16, we can all quote that, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We can quote that pretty much. You know, that's one of the most popular verses in all the world. You know what's all around that verse? This discourse with Nicodemus leading up to that. And then afterward, you know where Jesus goes? He goes to a place where there's much water. And you know what his disciples are doing? They're baptizing people. Because there was much water there. Isn't that interesting? Why is that interesting? Because being born of the water and the Spirit talks about baptism. Now, there's a baptistry right over here that has water in it. You know, that's the same baptistry I was baptized in in January of 1999. I remember it. I want to tell you, I got immersed in water. I got dunked under the water. And I came up. And when I looked at myself in the mirror the next day, I didn't see anything different. I saw the same ugly mug looking back at me that I saw before. But you know what I had faith in? I had faith in the working of God. That through obedience to a simple act of being born again of the water, in that water, guess what? God does a work. I'll tell you, that work is not a work of man. It is a work of God. And the Spirit works to lead us to that point to where we're obedient. Because, you know, before I was baptized, you know what people spent time with me doing? Opening up the Word of God and studying with me? Is that not how the Holy Spirit operates? Is that the Spirit working through the Word as the New Testament describes? 
leading us to a path of obedience to the gospel. So that being born again of the water and the Spirit is the Spirit and the Word working, leading us to obedience and being born again in baptism. Did Jesus do that? Was Jesus baptized? In fact, he was. And as he approached John the Baptist and petitioned John to baptize him, John tried to refuse, didn't he? What did Jesus say? Suffer it to be so, for I must fulfill all righteousness. Now, was Jesus baptized because of his sins? He had no sins. But he was baptized to give us an example. I want to tell you, when he was baptized, he came by water. And then when he died on the cross, he came by blood. And now when we're buried with our Lord in baptism, guess what there is? There's water, but what else is there? The blood. And the blood is able to do what? Wash away our sins. Have you been born again? This week, we're going to be focusing and talking about people who saw Jesus die. And we're going to try to appreciate the cross of Christ from their perspective. And some of those people you may relate to. And that's really the whole purpose of this, is there will be some character that we study that you will be able to say, I can connect with that. And maybe that would have been your reaction to have seen Jesus die on the cross. But at the end of it all, it's not just about studying the cross, it's about being moved to take action. And that action is that you need to be born again. You need to be changed. And for that to happen, you have to be baptized into Christ. These aren't my words. We just want to listen to God because He's the one that gave us a Savior. And if He's the author and finisher of our faith, it would be wise of us to consider and listen, what is it that He tells me to do? And I know if I do that, trusting and having faith in His will, He's going to deliver His promises to me. I want you to think about this passage in Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. He says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into His death? Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been planted or united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin." Tonight, you're a slave or a servant of something. Something drives you. Something motivates you. Something is leading you. And it's whatever you're choosing to follow. And here in Romans 6, it gives us a very basic and simple idea to understand that you're in one of two camps. You're either a slave of sin or you're a slave of righteousness. You're a servant of this world or you're a servant of Jesus Christ. And those are the two options. Here's the wonderful thing about that. I don't know where you're at. You do. You know where you stand with God. 
you know whether you have been obedient to his will. You know whether or not you have been born again of the water and the spirit. You know whether you have been obedient to the will of Jesus Christ. Notice the promise here. That your sins can be done away with. You ever thought you were unforgivable? You ever thought you had committed a sin so bad that maybe a friend or your parents or anybody else couldn't ever forgive you of that? Maybe you even thought, I don't know how I'm going to live with myself because of the choices I've made. I want to tell you, brethren, our young people struggle with those questions. I want to tell you the answer is not going to be found within yourself. The answer is not going to be found in a self-help book. It's not going to be found in a counselor's office. The answer is going to be found in you being obedient to the will of God. And trusting that through your obedience to the message of the gospel and the cross of Jesus Christ, that whatever you've done, the blood of Christ is powerful enough to forgive. You see, that process of being born again requires faith. It's not just an act of being immersed in water and baptized. It's you having faith in what God is going to do through your obedient act. Colossians 2 and verse 10 says, And you are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power, and whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and the putting off of the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised Him from the dead. The same power as Jesus hung on the cross and His body was brought down and prepared and placed in a tomb Who was it that raised that body from the dead? It was the Father. God the Father utilized His power and His authority over all things and caused Jesus to be raised from the dead and made immortal. You know, Lazarus was raised from the dead, wasn't he? But eventually, guess what Lazarus had to do? He had to die again. Jesus was made alive and changed and made immortal by the power of God. And he says that same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead, he utilizes in an individual's life when they're willing to be baptized and raised up to a new life. And you say, well, how's that possible? Have faith. Because if it's possible for God to raise Jesus from the dead, I want to tell you, He has the authority to declare that your sins are forgiven. And through that declaration, you enter into a relationship with Him, and you enter into a relationship with all of God's people. And I can tell you for myself tonight, I don't know where I would be today without God's people. And I hope and pray that this week is a great encouragement to everyone, not just the young people. I hope that us older, and yes, I said I'm older, can be encouraged in our faith. That we can be encouraged by our fellowship, our time together, our study of His Word, our singing and praising God. 
And our connection that we have, that though we may live hundreds and hundreds of miles apart, we have a bond through the blood of Christ that transcends this life. And I hope that we have an appreciation for that. Do you want to win? Does anybody in here like to lose? If your last name's Hanley, no, you don't like to lose. If your last name's Palmer, you don't like to lose. Hutchins, uh, not, nobody in here likes to lose, do we? Are you going to win in your life? And when I say win in your life, I'm not talking about be successful in the world's eyes. I'm talking when all is said and done, all the materialistic things are stripped away, all the things you have worked to accumulate for your life matter not, and you stand naked before your God. Are you going to win? That's humbling to think about, isn't it? Because we work very hard to give a presentation of ourselves that we want the world to see. But God sees past all that. He sees to the depth of our soul and our heart. But I want to tell you, He wants you to win. And He wanted you to win so much that He was willing to die for you. In 1 Corinthians 15, we see a great promise of the ultimate victory that we have in Jesus. Because you know when Jesus' body was in that tomb... You know who thought they won? Satan. Satan thought he had won. He knew who Jesus was. He knew the authority Jesus had. He recognized the power. Even the demons and the devils recognized the authority of Jesus while he was here on this earth. And Satan said, you know what? I beat him. He's dead. But when Jesus was raised to life the third day... He destroyed any perceived power that Satan thought he had because the only power Satan had was the perception and the fear of death. And now that had been overcome. And now we have that promise to overcome. And Paul writes of that victory in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, so when this corruptible, he's talking about our flesh, our bodies, has put on incorruption, this mortal has put on immortality, Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us what? The victory through who? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. You're not going to do it on your own. As individualistic as you may be, And as powerful and strong as you think you are, you try to win this game of life on your own, you're going to lose. Because the only victory that can be had is through Jesus Christ. And through His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And tonight, He invites you to come to Him. You ever been invited to a party? Doesn't it feel good to get an invitation? You ever known someone else was having a party you didn't get invited? It stings a little bit, doesn't it? (laughs) You know Jesus invites us to come to Him. And that invitation is not only at the end of a sermon. It's not just on Sunday morning, Sunday evening, or Wednesday night. 
That invitation is always open and extended. And tonight, you may be in the the audience and you're considering some of the things that we've studied. And maybe you're not going to respond and come forward tonight. That's okay. I want you to keep thinking about the things that we've talked about. And through this week, you may gain a greater appreciation and understanding of something you may need to do. And I want to encourage you, talk to the brethren that are here. Pull me aside. Pull any of the elders, the deacons, the leadership here. Any of the men or women in this congregation would be happy to visit with you about those things because that's why this work happens. And tonight, Jesus is giving you that invitation. In Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. I want to tell you, sin doesn't allow you to rest. Sin brings about guilt and shame and a lot of negative emotions. But Christ's forgiveness brings rest and peace. And you can have peace with God tonight. And tonight, if you're willing to be obedient to the words of Jesus, when he said in Mark chapter 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, you can have peace with God. And your sins can be washed away because of what Jesus did on his cross. If you need to do that tonight, don't wait. If you know you believe Jesus is the Son of God, you're willing to confess that before men, you're willing to repent of your sins and change the way that you're living to follow after Jesus Christ, then be baptized. Again, if Jesus were here tonight, we wouldn't be here. (laughs) But if you asked Him what we needed to do to be saved, His Word tells us. And if you'll submit to that, all the promises of God can be yours. And the angels in heaven would rejoice with us. If we can help you with a spiritual need, please come while we stand and sing. Broken life, so 